0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz
1: every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Dana Perino, and this is Perino on Politics. Clean up on aisle 46. Welcome to Perino on Politics, where you get everything you need from a 30,000-foot view of This Week in Politics. So joining me now with a look at what this means for the road ahead to November is my friend, Republican strategist and vice president at Targeted Victory, Matt Gorman. Matt, how's it going?
0: Good to see you, Dana. How's it going?
1: I'm pretty good. I have a little cold. My husband brought home a cold from Dubai, gave it to me. It's not a big cold, but I sneezed. All weekend. Even in my sleep, I was sneezing.
0: Ooh. There's nothing worse when you wake up and you just don't feel good. Like, yeah.
1: Just like, it, the, but I've oh. never enough to, like, take a day off because I got to be here and spread my germs that. to everybody. Just kidding. <laughs> only to Greg Gutfeld. Um, I, I'm so excited to talk to you. So Matt and I text a lot. <laughs> um, we do. And... What I love about this podcast is that people get to know the people that I rely on to help me think things through, and I cannot get this Robert Herr report out of my mind. This is the special counsel's report on Joe Biden's uh, classified documents case, in which case there was there were seven words that followed a decision by Robert Hur to not prosecute Joe Biden. He has to give a reason to the attorney general as to why he's not going to prosecute. And basically, he said a jury would never convict. They would be too sympathetic because of these seven words, the most damaging seven words for the Biden reelection campaign. Well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I think this is seismic. I actually believe This is the death knell for the Biden campaign. They just don't know it yet. And even if they continue to keep him on the ticket, what happened on Sunday, so this came out Friday, Thursday, Friday, Thursday. On Sunday, ABC News put out their poll and Matt, 86% of Americans think Biden is too old to be president for a second term. And you really can't get Americans to agree on anything, let alone get 86% of them to agree on something. How big is this? Am I off base thinking that it is as big a deal as I think it is?
0: I I don't think you are. I I mean, we learned this with Romney or other folks, right? The quote unquote gas or the worst mistakes you make as a presidential candidate are the ones that reinforce voters ideas about you already. Right. Right. So before this her report came out before the press conference Thursday night, hastily arranged, might I add. People already thought he was too old. People already thought he was losing it. You know, he wasn't as sharp as he was in 2012. That everything that happened on Thursday just added to it, reinforced it. I, I mean, this was disastrous, and I I I, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm not someone who gets shocked by a lot, <laughs> but this was really shocking to me. Like it it was appalling, and I think what struck me most. And I think what will seep through and get regular folks most is how easy to understand the report is in, in a lot of respects, right? It's not necessarily him messing up technical things, which he certainly does enough of. We have plenty of examples of that. It was him not remembering when his son died or when he was vice president and these basic foundational moments in that person's life, Right. People understand that. And they also can think and transpose themselves that if their mother or their father or their relative did the same thing, how concerned Mm -hmm. they would be. And they're not the one with the nuclear launch codes.
1: Right. So just for people that maybe if you're just catching up. So this report is based on the fact that Biden had classified documents that were being held in his garage next to his Corvette and apparently a broken down dog crate and other things. Um, And another quote from it is that Biden did not remember when he was vice president, forgetting on the first day of the interview when his term ended. He asked, quote, if it was 2013, when did I stop being vice president? And forgetting on the second day of the interview when his term began. Now, when Robert Herr, who is a career prosecutor, was appointed to this position, a lot of people in the Trump camp said, oh, this is just going to be whitewashed. Um, This is... Uh, somebody who can't be trusted, this is probably somebody who hates Trump. And the Biden people said, whoa, 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 he's Trump appointed. Trump appointed him and he got confirmed by the Senate. And then the Trump people like, we only put him through because the two Democratic senators said he was a good guy. So basically both sides canceled each other out on that front. Robert Herr has to make a decision. Am I going to prosecute or not? And he has to tell the attorney general I'm prosecuting or I'm not prosecuting, and here's why. Merrick Garland is the attorney general. He has the decision on whether to release Robert Hur's report to the public or not. They could have just announced Robert Hur declines to prosecute. Now, if Merrick Garland did that, imagine how all of us would be saying, why? Why should Biden get away with it when Trump is being prosecuted? We already have many people in this country who believe that The Justice Department has two different systems of justice for people. So I think Merrick Garland had to release the report. I noticed, Matt, that even though the Biden team is saying this was gratuitous, he didn't need to do this, they are not questioning the accuracy of what was said in the interviews. Right? They're they're not saying that. And so now a question is, should the Justice Department release the transcript of that interview with Biden? What say you?
0: I, I think they should. And I also kind of always look at what Democrats like professional Democrats are saying about this and the spin they're trying to give. Right. It went from, well, he was very stressed. He was he was in the middle of right after the October 7th attack, which, again, not great spin. You know, your president being confused and forgetting when his son passed away. When, you know, we're under attack or, or an ally is under attack, I should say. Or the other one is, you know, again, you're right. It was a Republican. And then they started pointing to, well, you know, Mike Johnson also confused a, Israel and Iran a week ago or, you know. Well, Donald and, and, Trump and Donald confused-
1: Trump um, mistook, yes. uh, couldn't figure out Nancy Haley and Nancy Pelosi. And we yep. know that we all do this all the time. But why? So, OK, so let me ask you this. So why does this one about Biden feel different?
0: Well, I what, I what I push back, push back uh, solely on the numbers was that in the most recent example, the Sunday before when Mike Johnson made his quote-unquote gaffe, Biden did it three separate times, confusing the French president and th- thinking mm-hmm. he was Francois Mitterrand, who died 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Olaf Scholz, the German, I believe, is president, was Helmut Kohl, who also, I believe, is dead. Yep. And then... Egypt and Mexico at mm-hmm. the press conference mm-hmm. designed to dispel. And
1: that, I, I do want to point out that. So when, when yeah. Biden came out to give a statement, I thought that was a good idea. So when the, yes. the Robert Hur report comes out, it is, it is a big deal. And it comes out later in the afternoon and Biden's already called a lid, but they need to get the president on camera to say, I am compass mentis. Everything is fine. He, 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 He does it in the cadence that he does it. It doesn't feel like he's fine. It sounds like he's lost a step. It does. And I I am reluctant to say these things because I do respect the president, the office of the president, and my elders. That was not good. But then he decided to take questions, which he usually never does. He's Mm -hmm. not fresh. He's angry. That's a terrible time to be taking questions. I think they should have just said the president will give a straight on the camera, straight to camera Statement, no questions. We'll see you at a press conference tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. and give him a good night's sleep, a chance to think things through. Instead, he takes questions. The press is in no mood for his kind of lame joke. They have pent up anger. This is possibly the most important story they have covered so far in their careers. And he's leaving the room. And there's one more question shouted at him about Hamas and Gaza. And he makes the fatal mistake, Matt. What's the fatal mistake? You turn around and you went, turn around. Yes. It's like always the last question. It's like one last thing. You think think you're clear and then nope.
0: And that's when
1: he mixed up the president of Mexico with the president of Egypt. I said, at least he didn't call him Mubarak, who was also Uh a former leader who has died. Um, And then over the weekend, the White House comes out and says, how dare you reporters? How dare you not cover Trump the way that you're covering Biden? How dare you not point out that this was a gratuitous smear by Robert Hur? And oh, did you notice the president is so youthful? He's now on TikTok. Do you think the Biden team's spin did any good this weekend?
0: Well, first of all, I want to know because don't forget Biden banned TikTok from government devices. Yep. So how do you how do you reconcile that? Number one, but I can set that aside. I, I, I think I mean I don't know, Dana. You've been in these far more than I have, but. I feel like Biden was so ticked at the report. He basically made his staff get this hastily arranged press conference. And the problem was it looked desperate. It looked hastily arranged. They're shouting questions at him. His mouth is half open. He's speaking softly. He just looked feeble the entire time, which is the exact portrayal you want to avoid. I mean – or the staff threw him to the wolves and the press. You're right. They've been pent up. It's not an organized press yeah. conference. It's a scrum. They're all yelling questions at him. Uh, and and it, it really was terrible. And I think what I sensed over the weekend was almost a sense of betrayal among Dem operatives who feel betrayed if the mainstream press doesn't portray an event exactly the way they demand it to be portrayed Mm -hmm. and that is what i think you're seeing here they feel betrayed more than anything tell me a little
1: bit about the trap that he's in that kamala harris her approval rating is just slightly below his and both of those aren't good um Actually, it was funny. I had friends texting me right before the president's statement saying, is he going to resign? I'm like, no, obviously not. That, that takes careful consideration for one. Yeah. Um, but also Kamala Harris, are they ready to put her forward as the Democratic nominee? And how would this work if they were to make a change? I don't think we know. It hasn't happened in our lifetime.
0: No, it hasn't. I mean, like, I guess think back, right? When the RNC and others were talking possibly about, in the light of the Axe Hollywood tape, trying to get Trump off the ballot. The, it was Mike Pence who they were going to get. They were going to – I mean, granted, it was much later in the process, but they were going to get a whole new nominee. I think, again, knowing the Democratic base and you know how much identity – and race is such a huge factor for how they think about politics and all this. There's no way, no way in heck they could bypass the first woman black vice president, throw her aside and, and say for a Gavin Newsom or, you know, Gretchen mm. Whitmer or something like that. Mm. No way they could do it. And I think one other thing, too, is kind of goes back to the Bo Biden thing. Biden wrote a book, I want to say it was shortly after he left office, I want to say 2017, 2018. Um, it was about his years as vice president, but kind of focused around Bo dying. And I listened to it. And the biggest takeaway, in my opinion, was how much he really is competitive with Obama. Like he would do these yeah. lunches with him and you, you could tell, he doesn't say it out right in the book, but if you listen to read the book, He definitely thought that Obama was leaking things to Hillary's camp as Biden is thinking about running against her in the primary Um, and and Obama's trying to dissuade him from running. So part of this, I think, is also a little pathological. He really compares himself and I should say he's competitive with Obama, even when you notice he compares himself to a president. And how much he's gotten done? It's not Obama. It's FDR. It's really almost in a way saying Obama's below me. It's me and FDR racing mm-hmm. for you know the liberal uh, accomplishments. I think that is a factor too. He desperately wants a second term like Obama got. Mm-hmm. There's no way in heck if he's able to, he will get he will drop out.
1: My last question in this segment, and we'll take a quick break and be right back. But I know that you have uh, is it a fellowship at the Institute of Politics, University of Chicago? I do. Yeah. Okay. So you've been going to Chicago every week. I have a lot of friends in politics. We all get asked if Michelle Obama is going to run instead of Joe Biden. My answer is a hard no. Your answer is
0: hard, hard no.
1: Okay. (laughs) So tell your friends, (laughs) tell your uncle who's on Facebook that it's not happening. So Mm -hmm. they can set that Mm -hmm. aside. I have to tell you, there's 1% of me that worries that I could be wrong and that I'm going to be so embarrassed for being so um, adamant about this and telling Jesse Waters he can't put this on his show anymore. (laughs) Um, But Michelle Obama not running for president. Right now they have Joe Biden, the incumbent, and incumbents often have um, advantages. But his Mm -hmm. advantages right now might be outweighed by the fact that, again, ABC News reports that 86% of Americans think Biden is too old to be president for a second term. And with Matt Gorman, I'll be right back. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day
0: every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you
1: get your podcasts. All right, Matt Gorman, back on Perino on politics. I want to talk a little bit about House and Senate politics for a moment. Um, Let's start with the Senate that is still the place where the founding fathers were really smart, right? The way they set it up said the house is really hot and then the Senate will cool things off. And that is true somewhat, but is there an end of an era happening right now with leader McConnell from Kentucky?
0: Yes, uh, there is. I mean, you're seeing very slowly the Senate become more like the house where it's a little bit more less, less of a, uh, cooler i think it was supposed to be the saucer the cool yes, uh, the, the tea. The hot topics right mm-hmm. it's less like that right i think what you saw too is they knew no matter what kind of topics would come up or deals that need to be made mcconnell would handle it senate would fall in line that has been that way in the house for a very long time for republicans regardless of what you think about it here when it came to the border funding in ukraine funding kind of paired together that was a priority of mcconnell it came apart very quickly and it's really ricocheting on mcconnell personally right you have ted cruz and others questioning his leadership even calling for new leadership you're seeing that a lot more i also think though you know democrats love to kind of crow and you know think that well you know we are very organized you know we we're much better at this than you guys we can pass stuff get in line i think that will end at some point if they get into the house majority again pelosi will be gone the incentive structures they are more collectivist than republicans they like being part of a group Republicans a little bit more individualist, a little more, you know, I think being anti-authority sometimes. But, you know, you'll see the squad, you'll see other folks, rabble-rousers, see incentive in not being part of that group. And I think you will see that in the House if, if they take, you know, mm-hmm. the majority, whether it's this time, next time, mm-hmm. wherever. Um, but yes, it is, you're seeing a little bit more in the Senate become like the House. And that, if you, if you know the Senate, it is a huge, huge um, insult to call them the House. Yeah, they think it really as much I know, because I
1: was a House staffer and never a Senate staffer. And I honestly think that the Senate staffers really looked down on us, but we were having much more fun over on yeah. the House side. Now, that said, one of the things McConnell has been very good at is making sure that the nominees, hopefully, for the Republicans are the ones that can win the races. And Larry Hogan, who's the former governor of Maryland, was recruited to run for the open Senate seat in Maryland. Does this provide a possible pickup opportunity for the Republicans?
0: I I think it could. Look, I I don't think he's the favorite yet.
1: Didn't he leave office with a very positive approval rating? Very positive. Yeah.
0: Huge, right? And I I remember in 14, I was working at the NRCC at the time, and he was like the last past the post. It was like, wait, and we won Maryland? Like, what? Mm-hmm. Like who's this guy? Um, and, and he became, you know, such a, a a big figure. The other two, the Democrats running against him, are pretty unimpressive. Um, one has a gazillion dollars. He owns Total Wine. Um, oh, the other is that is, what his
1: business is? Oh, yeah, yeah. Total Wine, yeah. for those listening, is a gigantic chain store where, yeah, you get all the wine, all the alcohol. It's, it's a good store. <laughs> not gonna
0: lie, but yeah, it's like uh, the
1: Costco it, of wines.
0: Yeah. And the other one is he's a white guy. And the other one is a black woman who is the county executive, I think, in Prince George's County, which is a very yep. pop- populous county. Um, th- But they're not they're not they're running unimpressive races. Um, And, uh, you know, so if Trone especially, I think, makes out of a primary, he has a real shot. Hogan does. I-, I think it's different, though, in a little respects. I think, you know, going in as a governor running for the Senate. It's a whole new host of issues. It's a lot of federal issues. Mm -hmm. You're gonna get dragged in where a lot of times, as governor, even in a blue state, you can float above some of these things. He's gonna have to take, you know, binary choices, McConnell for, you know, for leader, abortion, this or that. He's Mm -hmm. gonna have to make some choices. It'll be a little difficult. Um, Mm. But at the very least, right? It takes resources from other states, the Democrats. They now they didn't plan to have to spend in Maryland. They at the very least, they have to take some of those finite resources, put it into a, you know, extremely blue state normally.
1: And there was another Senate development, and that was in Montana. It was funny. Within like 48 hours last week, there's a is he House Freedom Caucus, uh, Matt Rosendale? Is I think a, so. He's from Montana. He ran statewide against Tester a few years ago. Uh, Tester is John Tester, the Senate Democrat. He's the incumbent. He's up for re-election. Um, Rosendale had been threatening to run, but the National Republican Senatorial Committee and McConnell really want this guy Tim Sheehy, who has an amazing resume, patriot, businessman, great family life, etc. And they thought Rosendale wasn't the best choice in order to win. And He was going to announce that he was running. It was rumored and reported that Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, was going to endorse Rosendale for that seat. He pulls that back within, I think, before noon, actually, that day. Mm -hmm. It was reported in Punchbowl News in the morning. By noon, it was out. And the next day, towards the end of the day, President Trump decided to endorse Tim Sheehy. And he's the one, as I mentioned, that McConnell thinks would be the better horse to back in that Senate race. What did you think of that?
0: I mean, I thought it was interesting. Uh, I mean, two, I guess two things, right? Steve Daines, who's the the chairman of the NRSC, the Republican campaign committee. He's from Montana. So this is a little bit personal to him. He cannot lose that seat or he cannot lose the camp- race for that seat. John Tester has been there for a while, um, you know. And I think, a lot of respects, you know, we always off, often talk about how Trump loves people, quote, out of central casting—that they look the part, they mm-hmm. have the resume. She he does. Yeah, like he looks—he's a former Navy SEAL. Like he fits the the, the mold. And his here. wife is—it
1: was a Marine, and they have—or maybe it was Army—and he—they ha- have a business where they have helicopters that fight all of the wildfires in the West. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's pretty amazing.
0: And yeah, he's not like some squish, like he's legit. And Rosendale, candidly, he, he's ran before a race that, you know, collectively Republicans probably could have won um, last time around. And look, you have this cycle, I think what underrated folks like John Tester and Sherrod Brown are kind of the last vestige of these Democrats who won in red states in 2006 from the Bush-Iraq war unpopularity. And for years, they kind of caught a break here or there. They were able to survive this and that. I think the bell will toll for these guys Mm. this time around. They cannot outrun it this time. But those two came in together um, with a host of other Mm -hmm. Democrats, uh, and I think they're going to not be able to outrun kind of the makeup of their state anymore. Mm -hmm. But she's good. Mm -hmm. Rosendale, I think what you're going to see also, too, remember— um kevin mccarthy when he was trying to get the speakership for you know 14 ballots i think it was last mm-hmm. january that photo with marjorie taylor green handing rosendale or trying yeah. to hand him the phone with trump on the other line his yeah. hands like sticking at, out mm-hmm. i think you're gonna see that in a couple
1: ads interesting okay okay uh, my last question for you and this segment is about a retirement which was a surprise and that is mike gallagher of wisconsin a young man with ambition and smarts and intelligence, and he uh, was a veteran himself. Uh, he's from Wisconsin, young family, um, two two daughters. Chairman of the bipartisan committee on China, and he announces over the weekend he is going to resign. He voted last week against the um, impeachment of Secretary Mayorkas, saying that this is not what the founders intended, and he's out. What does that mean?
0: It's a, it's a loss. It really is, and, and you kind of said it. This isn't someone who's in the back nine of his career, right? He's mm-hmm. a young guy, serious legislator, had a big job, focused on China, um, and and actually that committee worked pretty well, um, you know, and, and it's tough, right? Because if you, I think if you want to get serious things done in Congress, you want to pass bills, it's really hard to do that right now, mm-hmm. really hard. Divided government, and also the lifestyle isn't great, you know. You're flying back and forth, You've got young kids, mm-hmm. it, it's a grind. It is a grind, and. You know, there's a lot other different ways you could serve the country, uh, you know? And so I, I get it. If you're just kind of sick of it and say, you know what, I'm, not, I'm, I'm sitting here and we can't get anything done. What's the use? I, I get yeah. it if you're Gallagher. Yeah. Um, but that is a loss. He's good.
1: He's good. Okay, well, um, we are going to end on a high note. So don't go away. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Perino on Politics. Matt, I always ask a question of what am I missing? What are you paying attention to this week that I should be focused
0: on uh the uh, special election for the george santos uh house seat is tomorrow on tuesday and what i'm watching for there it's mozzie Pillup versus tom swazi swazi was a longtime politician had that seat uh in the past he's a pretty good politician i won't lie he has a moderate reputation though he has some stances, particularly on immigration that are out of the step a little bit um from what i've heard uh i give him a slight edge slight uh um mozzie's a pretty good candidate but also watch for the weather there i think you guys in the northeast are gonna yeah, get we're some snow, a big possibly. snowstorm that i mean that could be, make a difference in turnout um and so i'm watching the the weather reports just as much as i'm I'm looking at that um i think look i've been a lot through a lot of these special elections you know dana you and i would always kind of talk about them back in the day when i was running the nrcc comms department um look at the end of the day it's a seat and that's really really important but also sets a narrative right Republicans has been talking a lot about immigration and the migrant crisis in New York City, Swazi's kind of positions on that. It can tell us a little bit what works, what doesn't work going into November. It's a little bit of a stress test. So I'm watching that really closely.
1: And at the Institute of Politics in Chicago, what what kind of questions are you getting from students there? Like, What's on their minds?
0: Really smart stuff. I think a lot of the kids there, I, I was really shocked, they... They love learning about politics and a the theory, right? But they also really want the like the practice of it. So they'll ask you, okay, like, for example, I guarantee you when i when I go there later this week, they will ask if the, when the her report drops, what would you have done differently? What would you have how would you have approached it? What do you think? Um even just technical questions, like something that might be a little bit in the weeds here, but like, how do you deal with, say, um, a politician that you're working for that doesn't want to listen to your advice or if they have multiple people in their ear, like different advisors, mm-hmm. how do you handle that? It's very technical, but I will also say they're really smart. And they get it, which, I, which I'm really heartened by.
1: Exciting. I'm, ex- I'm glad that you're doing that. And I want to hear more about Thank it you. when you're done. That's a great organization, great program. Okay, Matt, are you, before I let you go, you have a pop quiz. Okay. It's multiple choice. So don't worry. get me. Who was the first president to fly in an airplane? Was it Teddy Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, or Harry Truman?
0: Um, I'm going to say Teddy Roosevelt.
1: Good guess. He was not in office at the time of flight, no. but the president flew in a Model B flyer from the Wright Company over a county fair on October 11th, 1910, in, it was near St. Louis, Missouri. That's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, he, has, he his post-presidency career is very cool. There's a book I want to read about him like traversing the Amazon. So I figured he would be a little bit of a daredevil and do that.
1: Indeed, as you are going to Chicago every week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Dana. We'll be back You're next best. week with more Perino on politics.